I was like, I got this. I can do this cover shoot. I can do it all. I did hit a wall almost quite quickly because it was too much. I think I would, I would have much more preferred to sort of be at a junior level and assist and just be able to learn in that sort of way rather than have all of that on my shoulders and you know live on like two hours sleep every single day. So. A bit of a balance is actually quite good. If you can start slow and and grow slowly, that's actually a much nicer way to do things. I'm Alison Rice, and welcome to Offline the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create, and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next guest is a creative I admire and look up to. Zenat Wilkinson is the founder of Source a community-led platform that exists to showcase and celebrate diverse voices and ideas. Zenat grew up in Mumbai and completed a degree in psychology before leaving to study fashion at Central St. Martins in London. Today, she lives in New Zealand with her husband and their new baby girl. A huge congratulations. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, but at its essence, I think it honours the journey to successfully making a living as a fashion and lifestyle creative. Zenat shares how she got her start in media, what it was like working for titles like Vogue India, why she chose to move to London to study at such a prestigious creative college, and why being personally impacted by the lack of diversity in media publications led her to create Source. She also opens up about finding her truth outside of her family's religious and cultural beliefs, her journey into motherhood, and how her decade-long dedication to practicing Buddhism helped her find the courage to leave a relationship she was in for the wrong reasons. I'm grateful she shared such a personal story with the intention of normalizing our tendency to make decisions that please other people but devalue our own needs. Here's beautiful Zenat and I for Offline. Let's get started. You know then that I like to start at the beginning. That's right. <laughs> um, and specifically, I'm always interested to know, particularly for women, how our childhoods have shaped us into the women we are today. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if you could share with us a little bit about your childhood and if you can share any stories of, yeah, growing up, what was it like? So um, I grew up in Mumbai. I was born there 
and I come from a sort of a, a multi uh, was like well not biracial but a bit of a mix like my mom is half Chinese and Arabic and my dad is Indian so we did I did grow up with a lot of different influences in my life and um, definitely I think growing up in India and especially I think between the age of like I'd say like eight to 18 has really been a sort of I'd say it's almost like an experiment in trying to figure out um, how to belong and how much to belong to all of those different elements of my life. How have you done that then? I mean, that's so interesting for us to explore because I guess, is there parts of those different cultures that feel really true to you and other parts that don't? Yeah, I think um, obviously like, you know, as any, like when you're younger, when you're younger, when you're that age, you sort of reject a lot of those um Areas, you know, especially when it comes to religion and, um, and you know, um, yeah, especially religion, I think that's the big one. You know, you sort of try and remove yourself as much as you can from that. And growing up Muslim is always like, you know, you do feel a bit different, you know, especially even if, even though there are lots of Muslims in India, um, you are still kind of um, the odd one out. So, um, so it was about that once, you know, sort of like, that's like one layer and then being Indian and then going, um, you know, traveling and living abroad. Um, so it's, it really has been about how much of all of those different elements do I want to, um, yeah, do I want to embrace and, um, and it's okay sometimes to, I think, um, you know, pick and choose some of that and, and decide that you don't want to, um, yeah, embrace some of it maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's just, I'm sure, uh, and I'm, and even for me as well, it's just an it, always evolving process of, you know, making contact with our essence, isn't it? And I guess reflecting on how much of what we've been brought up to believe is our own truth and how much of that is conditioned and programmed. And of course, especially, um, you know, in some cultures from our families and our parents that, you know, that we do kind of um, live our lives the way that they did. Did you find that when you started to travel, and this is an interesting thing, and I think um, women in particular, and this is has been true for me, coming from, um, you know, I would say I've been really trying to think about how I talk about my childhood, actually, my upbringing, but I mean, you know, the word disadvantaged, it does ring quite true. We didn't have a lot. Um mm-hmm. It's interesting to reflect back on as I sort of progressed in my career, there was lots of parts of my upbringing that I hid from media Mm -hmm. in particular because I felt like if I spoke about that, then I wouldn't fit the archetype of this kind of like, you know, young female digital leader that had this really glossy job. Mm -hmm. And then as I've continued to do my own self-work, I've been talking more and more about my upbringing, truthfully to say like it is the defining factor of me. It is the reason why I am the way I am and how I, you know, why I've worked so hard. And does that feel true for you as well, that you kind of selected parts of your story that fit where you were at at different times of your life? Absolutely. I think um, I'm in my 30s now. And I think this is finally a time when I have been okay to talk about a lot of those different things. And, and I have mentally sort of embraced a lot of it. And, and, I, and I'm not angry at my family anymore about some of those uh, moments and, and times. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's the, your twenties, I think are like sort of like the most challenging time where you just, you don't know how many of those masks you are, um, you're okay to, you know, take off and on. And, and that's okay. It's like a time when you're exploring who you are and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such um good advice for young women listening. You know, I always say, I just would never want to be in my twenties again. <laughs> I know. Like, I kind of, I didn't really have that, um, you know, I didn't have that crisis about 30. I was like, fuck yes, come on thirties. Like <laughs> I just was so incredibly hard on myself in my twenties. I found it a very chunky decade of just trying to find my way and, um, and the freedom I feel now in my thirties, I just wouldn't want to do it again. So I do have a lot of empathy for women in their twenties because I think you feel like it's not going to end. It's always going to yeah. be kind of that. You're always going to be that um, unsure, but exactly. then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, it happens where you're like, oh, mm. I'm sure now. Exactly. And there's so many mm. other areas as well. Like, you know, you're expected to be financially independent. You're expected to like sort of know what you want to do with your life and have, you know, a stable relationship or not have one, whatever. Like there's a lot to, a lot to explore at that time. And it's, and it goes by really fast. <laughs> Oh my God, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I worked most of mine, sadly. Um, so you, I thought this was interesting to learn about you, that you completed a degree in psychology before mm-hmm. going on to a foundation of fashion at Central St. Martin's in London. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Central yeah. St. Martin's? Yeah, that's right. Mm. I thought that might be a cooler way to say it that I wasn't getting yeah, right. Yeah, yeah just St. Martin's or with them. Um, <laughs> So I guess what came up for me when I read that about you is there's kind of quite a beautiful polarity um, of study there. I know. And I actually see that throw, like flow through in source your digital platform now because so much of the way you run your editorial is kind of that very kind of thinking woman, expressed woman that, you know, that like we're very across our stories and how we're engaging and interacting in the world and then the intersection of fashion and beauty and lifestyle and luxury. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. You know, that's a, you could um, see that and, and yeah, notice that. I think really it is, um, you know, in terms of the type of content we create, it's really about exploring um, some of the topics and making um, things that are a bit more, um, implicit, a bit more explicit in a way, and um, mm-hmm. really bringing that community together and finding like-minded people to um, share some of those ideas together. And and I think um, I, I've always loved fashion and beauty, and so you can kind of see that element is like a sort of like an underpinning or like an undercurrent through everything we do, um, which is. Um, yeah, which which I think, like you know, I just I'm a sucker for design and and good imagery, and so that will always be um, a big part of um, our work at Source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's very inspiring to me. I have to say, like, there's very few destinations where you feel really challenged by the content. You know, I really like that when I arrive somewhere and I'm like, this is not what I expected, and you're asking me to think. Um, deeply about things. And I think that's very valuable for the women listening. So I think you have a really beautiful brain, honestly, when I see what comes through. Um, Thank you. It's quite cool. Thank you. I'm not very good at talking about source and talking about myself, but um, I'm glad you can still see that in the work we produce. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell us about life in London. So you obviously lived there for a few years. And That's right. I wondered if um, you could share how perhaps important that stint abroad, well, I guess New Zealand is still living abroad for you in many ways, mm-hmm. but living, I guess, in a more sort of that European culture, how important was that to your, I guess, your career trajectory and your success. I think there might be a lot of women listening who are on the cusp of, I mean, right, not right now, but once nature allows us to sort of be in the world again, that might be thinking, is a move the thing I need to do to sort of, um, yeah, propel my career? Was that true for you? Yeah, I I think it's it's such a big way. I mean, for me, you know, I, you know, a lot of people like Asian families and you know people from that um, culture and heritage would be able to relate to this but you're very cocooned in your environment um, growing up in in India or wherever you might be I think um, so I think just being away from my mom and my dad like asking me what time I'm going to be home every single day and just being able to be me in whichever way I want to be um, I think that was the big force of um, creative creatively like growing and just growing as a person you know just um taking responsibility for my career and like if I want to wake up early the next day and be at uni or be at my internship you know I'm my own boss and um yeah so I think that was a really big really big push for me and a push in the right direction yeah Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for how old were you you must have been in your early 20s when you moved right that's right. Yes, I did my uni and then I moved, yeah. What advice would you have for other women in their young 20s who may be thinking about a move to a city like London? Like, was that having to establish friends and, you know, your activities and your lifestyle? And do you have any yeah. advice for the move? Um, with making friends, London is such an amazing city. Like, it is um, so diverse, and you are likely to find your tribe um, very quickly. So, making friends, I don't think, is like is 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 not really that much of an issue um, in London. Um, but I'd say. You know, if you want to be there, like, and and be, you know, sort of like work in fashion and and learn, like, uh, do lots and lots of internships, like, and and that's hard because not a lot of internships pay, and London is expensive. So you know, sort of have maybe try and have a balance between a weekend job or a part time job and have a really really good internship and go to St Martin's if you if you're um, trying to study um, in the creative space because once you have that um, in your portfolio, your um, resume or whatever, you you know, it just opens doors really quickly. Mm, it's really interesting that, isn't it? Because there is particular schools in particular cities that when you've got them on your resume, it is a real door opener. And I've been exploring this concept of education, you know, on the back of launching mm-hmm. self-study and are we really sort of subscribed to this like quite patriarchal view of education and how we can be taught but I think that school is, and I, and I think about that through the lens of like, what is the future of university, right? And how yeah. we're going to educate ourselves, particularly as young women. But that school in particular, I think is one that, um, it just has the most incredible reputation. And it's kind of one of those things where kind of anyone who's anyone in fashion is likely studied there, you know, was it yeah. a really incredible experience? Yes, absolutely. I think um, the school itself um, is not easy to get into. And I think the faculty does pick some of the most creative minds from around the world. So you really are surrounded by 
pure genius in some sense. And walking into the school every day, it wasn't really about the handbag you carry or the shoes you wear. And you, you sort of think of fashion in that sort of way. It's, you know, that it might be a lot about that, but it's not about that at all. Um, you know, people come with like the most interesting, like makeup or like, um, you know, like outfits that are, you know, sort of head to toe vintage and just really, really cool. And they can be whatever, you can be whatever you want to be. And I think that's why it's really special there. Mm-hmm. It's true that, isn't it? Like some of the most fashionable, fashionable people I know don't really wear current trends. Like they're not necessarily designer-led, are they? I think it's like true true fashion is like self-expression and often that yeah. is quite a well it is quite a personal a personal thing yeah absolutely um it, you know in every sense and how you sort of like style your hair and how you wear your makeup or don't wear any makeup like all of those elements is such a strong form of self-expression mm. um you worked as a stylist for grazia india that's right. You've contributed to titles like Vogue India and Nylon. You've produced cover shoots for really big Bollywood actors. It's pretty incredible. Like as I was reading your experience and like those Bollywood shoots you did at like 22, I was like at 22, I just definitely was not on, you know, a high profile shoot. So it's quite incredible what you've achieved mm-hmm. Um you know, and to be in your early 30s now. I wondered if you could share with us um, what it's like working at that level and I guess what's the expectation? Yeah, sure. I um, So I, when I started at Grazia, I sort of worked with the, um, the launch team, so the Italian team, and we really worked on creating what Grazia India was sort of like going to be about. Um, so it was very early days. And as a result, although I was really young, I was able to be there at, you know, all of the big shoots and the cover shoots. And I had a lot on my plate. Like it was actually the most stressful time of my life. Like it seems really amazing, but I was literally baking out into hives. It was incredibly stressful. But um, I did get to meet a lot of um, talented people and work with some crazy budgets. Like the budgets in the 90s are like no longer the same <laughs> when it comes to editorial work. Like thousands and thousands of dollars being spent on these cover shoots. And I had an, and I was managing a lot of it, which was um, really good learning experience and how to um, put a production together. So it wasn't just styling, but it was really about producing the whole thing, bringing all the right people, like the makeup artists, the hairstylists, all of those elements need to sort of like work together. And and that's how you can create a really beautiful shoot. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, like if you, re- I know that was like, say a decade ago, right? But yeah, do you remember any limiting beliefs you had then? Or was there a lot of fear around like, am I supposed to be here and am I good enough for this? Or you didn't have that holding you back? No, I think it's, yeah, you, you don't have that. I think I have more of that now than I did in my How early weird, Isn't that weird? Is. Like the older we get, the more yeah. self-conscious we get, I guess. I remember, yeah, when I was young too, same thing, didn't care. 
yeah, I was like, I got this. I can do this cover shoot. I can, yeah, I can, I can do it all. I think, and then you, you do realize you, I did hit a, hit a wall almost quite, quite quickly because it was too much. I think I would, I would have much more preferred to sort of be at a junior level and assist and just be able to learn in that sort of way rather than have all of that on my shoulders and, you know, live on like two hours sleep every single day. So, yeah, so um, a, a bit of a balance is actually quite good. If you can start mm-hmm. slow and, and grow slowly, that's actually a much nicer way to do things. That's really good advice for young creatives listening because I know when we first start out, we really want the big job and we really want mm. the responsibility and we feel so capable and there's a bit of beautiful naivety in that capability, right, of like, yes, I can go and do anything. But I think that's such good advice for people to feel comfortable to settle into those learning years because if you can find a good team um, on a good brand or you start your own thing maybe, but if you have a mentor that can actually show you the ropes and teach you all the mistakes that they made so that you don't have to make them and feel that burden perhaps. So I think that's really good advice because we can be a bit, um, I certainly was quite impatient and I do wonder if there was a more, and I don't know about this, but Sometimes I do wonder if I would have really benefited from a more traditional women's lifestyle um, experience because I went straight from more of a sort of news and social issues journalism background mm-hmm. into digital. Mm-hmm. I don't. I've actually never worked on a glossy women's magazine. I have no idea. I wouldn't even know. Like, <laughs> and now you're never gonna know because they barely exist. <laughs> Well, that's, oh, I guess I missed the boat completely. But there's like, I mean, I have friends like my girlfriend, Billy, who's, um, you know, edited a magazine before. And there's a way they talk about planning an editorial that I'm just like, huh? Like, and even Tony's a creative director of a magazine. So really different approach to like coming to content. But do you feel like you're, you've, you've got that kind of more traditional training plus the new media? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um the the way you sort of like create content and the way you produce things is you have so much more time you are looking at so many different elements you know like for a cover shoot we'd get a dress um back then when it was okay to use Dolce and Gabbana like they would hand paint a dress for a shoot that I was styling I mean that was incredible you know just to have uh, moments like those and you know when the dress flies in from Italy and it's just um it's incredible, yeah. But um, now, you know, obviously, just um, you don't have any of those opportunities. But I think it was good. I had that, and I think uh, I feel grateful to have, um, yeah, have those memories and experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just recently relaunched Source. Do we call it Source Two Point What are you calling it? Um, just Source. I thought it was like it would be. F- kind of uh it would make sense to just um call it 2.0 because it feels like more of like a grown-up version (laughs) of um yeah of the brand yeah yeah um so you know I've said that I think your content is extremely considered and thoughtful and you know from my side I was like this doesn't feel like it needs a refresh to me like this still feels really progressive and challenging um Mm -hmm. as someone consuming it But the new design, you know, it's very calming. It's very cool. I wonder what your motivation was behind, um, I guess, that innovation and that evolution. Did that come from a place of 
your own need to be like creatively stimulated again? Or was it the change in perhaps what your community was wanting? This is a really good question because um, I never thought about it that way. It was something, this is a selfish reason behind it. Um, I think I got sick of some of the sort of like the look and the logo and, and, you know, so maybe it was a bit selfish. Maybe I just wanted something that is uh, a bit more reflective of my taste now. Um, You know, when we started Source, it was four years ago and, um, you know, so much has happened. Um, You know, I'm now pregnant and having a baby and, you know, I feel like a lot of the conversations that I want to have and I want to see on the website um, need to sort of the design and the the look and feel needs to reflect that. So, yeah. So Mm, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was, it's been a sort of an unmeditated journey, you know, like it feels like it kept tweaking and evolving and, and I'm really happy where it is now, but it, it will, it will still keep changing and evolving, I think, as we go forward. Mm. And that's that thing, isn't it? It's like, it's never really done, is it? It's just like, it exists in, in its current form. And that's relevant at that in this time. And then I think for us as creatives, it's just continuing to welcome the evolution and I guess meet the need of the time, right, as it comes up. And I've learned a lot about that actually, just not being too focused on an end point of saying like, okay, this is all perfect and mm-hmm. launch because, mm-hmm. I mean, even when I just launched my most recent evolution of offline I didn't feel like it was ready, certainly, but I was like, you literally just cannot work on this anymore. It's like another 2 a.m. at the computer changing one color on the website. I'm like, fuck, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Did you have that experience of just needing to let go? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, when we were sort of like sort of 90% there, and I think I had to sort of tell um, the designer that I work with, Ophelia, who's really, really talented, but she kind of wanted to perfect it a bit more, a bit more, and I'm like, nah, it's fine, let's just get it out. Like, you know, we just sort of sometimes get so caught up in the perfection of it all, and then you just, it starts to become a bit daunting, and it starts to feel, you feel removed from it, you know, why you even want, why you wanted to do this, and you, you feel some you know sort of um angry <laughs> so you just you just have to like let it go and get it out no one notices all those tiny little niggly things it's just in your I head know. right <laughs> i know driving you insane they wake me up at like 4 a.m where i'm like the link on that page is wrong <laughs> then i have to yeah. go, <laughs> go to the computer and change it but would that be your advice to i guess other creators and content creators of the just putting work out there. I think sometimes we hold and withhold for so long that sometimes our ideas can become irrelevant in the process of trying to make them perfect. Absolutely. And and I think it's okay to like sleep on it, like, you know, to keep yourself a day or to walk away from it, do something else and then come back and look at it um, with a fresh perspective. And if you're happy, just let, you know, just push the button and, and make it live. Or if you want to tweak it a little bit, that's fine. And if you hate it, you hate it. That's fine. You can just delete the whole thing. That's fine too. So I think walking away from something, and this is what happened with Source as well. I think around November last year, I sort of thought that, yeah, I'm not so sure um, where we're headed and what what we're doing and what we're talking about. And I just, I just paused, like I was barely um, 
posting anything or uploading any content. And I went for a holiday and then I went, came back. I was pregnant and then I went to India and, and I was like, that's okay. It's been four months since I've posted that. People actually asked me, it's like, have you shut the business down? Like what's going on? I was like, no, I'm just taking a break. And I think that's, that's necessary. Sometimes you, you know, it's important if you can afford to take a break, um, take a break and then come back to it with a fresh perspective. And, and I think mm. it allows you to have some sort of growth and, and having that space is so important. Well, that's probably a good segue into my next question. Like mm. when we take that space and we move into silence and reflection, you know, that's mm. when the ideas come and certainly we find <clears throat> the um, the inspiration. Where do you, I mean, and I ask this question because I'm such a big fan of what you create and so I always want to know where do you go to get inspired and like you also just find the most interesting people to talk to. So where, what do you do to get sort of creatively inspired? Um, it's funny. I think like definitely, I think Instagram and the sort of digital space has opened up um, doors um, to a lot of different people and, um, you know, have, um, I've met lots of interesting creatives from around the world and, you know, we've just, um, DM'd each other and become friends. And the next thing I know, I'm like, um, one of our, um, editors is like, um, in, in, um, in London and she's going to Oxford to photograph her and interview her. And I've, you know, never met her before. And it's just so beautiful when that happens, but I definitely think it's the, the community that you can create online, um, on Instagram that I think that's really sort of helped me meet the right, right people and like-minded people. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing because, you know, this podcast sort of exists to examine Instagram in a way and how we engage with it and how we compare ourselves. And, but then I think to myself, the same as you, like, but what would I do without it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you have that kind of, um, I guess, what will we call it? Like a love hate relationship? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I rarely ever post anything. So it, it I really have to push myself to, um, to get there and you know sometimes we have a lot of beautiful content going on our website um, but I'm a little bit hesitant to share some of the things on Instagram and I think we have a newsletter which I think is quite good so um, you know there are other ways to reach if you have a business um, or a platform there are other ways to reach your audience and I think um, newsletters and you know having um, that is a really great way so you can actually step away from Instagram if you don't feel like it for a little while um, mm. yeah so I think I I, def I I totally understand how you feel because I've been feeling the same yeah and I think being home and being in this sort of lockdown situation it has made it really hard to um to and you know I guess like you've been working really hard and I've been working really hard in some of our projects and you sort of seeing everyone on Instagram baking away and <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like damn it you know I'm so annoyed I want to bake too <laughs> instead I'm at my fucking computer at 1am trying to figure out like code yeah. annoying yeah. yeah so um uh, yeah I saw your post from yesterday <laughs> you know you mentioned that you were really tired and I was like actually I was like wow finally someone <laughs> is sort of in the same space as me like I haven't worked this hard <laughs> in such a long time um 
I mean, like, you know, probably harder than I was when, you know, we were not in lockdown. So, um, so I get it. Like, you know, there are moments where you just like, you're done with Instagram. <laughs> when I put that photo up or that story up, I kind of looked at it and I was like, this is really the reality of like, yeah. <laughs> A, what I, what I look like most of the time. Um, and even talking to you now, it's like, I'm totally like, in the sweats, you know, mm-hmm. no makeup. And I know you shot this morning, so I get to see your beautiful face with um with makeup on. But I mm-hmm. I woke up, um, I was saying to you before we started talking sick, and I don't mm-hmm. ever get sick, like ever. I feel like I've got the strongest immune system and I've got a lot of sensitivity. Like it's kind of like this feeling of like my my nerve endings are like very prickly and um the bags under my eyes and and then to your point, like I've stopped to reflect and I'm like, I actually haven't worked this hard and this, like sitting at this computer for like 10, 12 hours a day, not really moving, like maybe getting up and having, you know, a quick break or going to the post office or something. But all of my kind of practices, it's interesting the battle I have with my ambition because for mm. all of this past like 18 months being out of like a corporate role, I've been so good with like the way I start my day and the pace I choose to live at. But then it's almost like with the launch, my ambition came and take, took over again. Yeah. And then yesterday and this morning, I really had to sit and sit in that and think about how, again, you, how quickly you lose control yeah. in, um, in, I guess, your own hype. <laughs> yeah. And, and all yeah. If, um, I, I totally understand that it is, it's, it's, um, some people are driven by the sort of excitement and, and ambition to do, you know, to start something and make things happen. And some people are really comfortable with having, you know, schedules and, um, having, you know, sort of timelines with things. I'm not like that. I love the excitement and, you know, like working till three in the morning and, you know, getting shit done. And, um, I find that process very creative and, um, it's, um, I don't know. I think it must be, a type of yeah type of personality that just like loves to um live on the sort of edge <laughs> and, and create yeah yeah, yeah but, at um, the expense of my adrenals adrenals are just going like i know fuck. and yeah. i really can't right now like the baby's like no you know just like kicking around and <laughs> i have to lie down so yeah i will have to find my rhythm going forward and i think that's what it is i think about um, having a family and, and getting there, I think it, it does maybe force you to um, re re-examine some of the the lifestyle choices. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and what we can actually, you know, what we'll be capable of doing, and yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that because congratulations, you are thank you twenty nine weeks in your belly. Yeah. <laughs> just ten um, more weeks to go, which is just like. Insane because again, we kind of live through Instagram, don't we? So it's like I saw mm. the announcement, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, you're in your last trimester, which seems yeah. like it happened really quick. And I think, um, are you going to have a Cancerian baby because you're doing July, yes. aren't you? Yes, that's oh. right. Oh, you've really How done exciting. <laughs> are you Cancerian? Yeah. Oh, when's your birthday? <laughs> July 16. Oh, so my due date is on the 11th, which is um, cool. I think like um, the more sort of like the more Cancerians I've met recently, um, they're really cool, easygoing people, aren't they? Thanks, Dal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, no, I, think... I mean, I'm biased, of course, but I think we're the best star sign. Oh, uh, I don't know. Sagittarians are pretty up there. <laughs> Tony's a Sagittarius, actually. You got oh. that big fire, that big fire energy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a bit like I think Sagittarians, um, I don't know about Tony, but like to probably they don't like rules and they sort of like live on the edge a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, he's. I'm always trying to, and that's our good thing. Is like I'm the water and he's the fire. So it's me mm. constantly putting him out of just like, come on, like yeah. get back in the home, you know, come back to me. Yes, <laughs> in the house with me. Um, oh, but like with this, I guess, new stage of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how are you thinking about like entering that phase and? I guess, how are you feeling mentally and emotionally? Because I know I know we don't ever really feel ready and I know there's nothing mm-hmm. that can prepare us except experiencing it, but what's coming up for you? I think I've like, um, <clears throat> I always knew that I sort of wanted to have a family, like one, one, one addition to, uh, I don't think I can handle two kids, but maybe one kid. <laughs> So, um, so I always knew we wanted to do that, but we sort of like pushed it because I've been married for seven years and we could have had one much sooner, but we just sort of like pushed it because we were like, oh, busy with work, you know, buying a house and setting up the house and all of those things. And I think last year we were just like, you know, we'll just see what happens. We'll just try. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it's fine. You know, just sort of like go with the flow. And it happened. Um, I found out a day before I was going to LA, I actually had this trip booked with my girlfriend. We were going to go there, get all the cool parties and get wild and oh. wasted. <laughs> and I was like, no. I need this holiday so badly. And I did the test the night before. And when I arrived in LA, I, I told my, you know, she kind of knew when she looked at me, she's like, something's wrong. <laughs> You're hiding something. Yeah. So um, it was, um, it has been a quite a journey. Um, I have cruised um, through the first few months, I'd say, but it it is, it gets really hard when you, once you get to your seventh month. Yeah. There's lots mm-hmm. of there's a lot there's a lot to learn there's so many different like layers of anatomy and science and (laughs) and reproduction to like study it's literally like going back to school and learning a whole lot where you know I'm just like I'm not ready for that like you know I have work to do (laughs) I don't have time to learn all of this so but yeah now it's interesting yeah I'm 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 doing it as as much as much um as I can uh, I'm taking it easy like we're pretty late with setting up for the baby but we're doing it yeah as as yeah as as time goes by yeah hopefully hopefully mm-hmm. she doesn't arrive too early because there's really not much here for her as yet but yeah no one yeah. except on you Zenat and I switched gears from babies back to source I wanted to ask her about the very thing her platform is an undeniable advocate for, and that's diversity of voices. I asked her if not seeing herself reflected back at her in traditional media outlets was the driving force behind creating a platform that leads with representation and inclusivity. So before I started Source, I 
was sort of examining uh, a lot of the media outlets in New Zealand and I did not see myself or anyone who looked remotely like me. Um, I would go through a lot of magazines, literally flicking through ads and pages and maybe there would be an ad which has, um, um, you know, someone colored on it, but there was nothing. And I think um, that lack of diversity in um, in what was projected and shown in the magazines is a, is, a, is a result of not having that kind of diversity within the teams. So um, as a woman of color, automatically, I sort of, I think I'm drawn to people with lots of different experiences. Like, you know, we have um, someone with a Russian background in, 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 in our team and, um, um, we do have people like lots of Kiwis and um, lots of like different women of color like contributing. And so having those different experiences and those different heritage and backgrounds um, really creates like a rich um, experience, I think, on on that space. Yeah, I'm so glad you raised that. It's like if you're asking that question as a creator, like how to think about diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, what comes up for me is I don't think, like certainly even if I was thinking about leading teams again, I don't think I could sit there as a, you know, a thin white blonde woman and have a say on what that looks like. It's about hiring the people who you want to be sharing more of their voice and allowing them to express it and drive the agenda in a way that is authentic to, you know, what they believe to be true and what's needed. I think it can get a bit precarious when you've got people in leadership roles or running brands, especially media titles, um, that don't have that lived experience trying to make those decisions. It's a, yeah. And so I'm so glad you brought up that it's about bringing diversity in and then yeah. the creation kind of happens through the richness of having yeah. And I think people from all different walks. Absolutely. And it's not, I I don't think that it's um, a lot of brands may, um, you know, sort of like shy away from some of these conversations or casting in a certain way because they feel like it looks like you're trying too hard or it it doesn't feel um, natural, you know, to them. So I think when you have people around you, that look different and have different stories to share. It becomes a bit more seamless and natural to you as well. So that's mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really glad um, you gave that advice. And I will share with you, I um, I found Zinnia through Source. Yeah. Zinnia Kamoa. Yeah. And oh, we've recorded. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. She, I know. Is, she is such a force of life. <laughs> what a brain. I was like, I know. so yeah. And so we had, um, I don't know if it will be out yet or not. Cause now mm. I don't really have a run order. I just publish yeah. things when I feel like the, you know, the guest is, um, the, the conversation is relevant, but we had a really interesting conversation about her, the research she's doing. And so for mm. anyone listening, who's not familiar, she's a, um, a scientist and a model as well. So she had great polarity there and she's researching, um, colorism and specifically, um, skin color stigma in South Asia. That's right. And so fascinating the way she thinks. So, and she wants her research to highlight how skin color stigma disadvantages women of color psychologically and economically. Mm. And part of that is the responsibility on the brands and the marketing directors and the people running ad campaigns for particularly beauty brands. Um, again, making those kind of uninformed decisions about what 
sort of beauty looks like. And then you've got all of these women who are going out and chasing that ideal, which means trying to change the color of their skin. I know. It's it's actually crazy because there's, you know, there are 2 billion South Asians in the world. There's a lot of us, you know. So for us to feel like an, you know, sort of like outsider in that space is actually kind of, it doesn't make sense for, for business or, you know, just, um, it, it really is, um, just a weird concept in some sort of way, you know, because there's so many, just the sheer number (laughs) is a lot of us, right? So, um, I think what she, the work she's been doing is, is really quite, quite remarkable and she's Australian as well. And, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it's crazy. Like just, I, I found her on Instagram and going back to what we talked about, you know, it's amazing how you find your tribe. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about your sort of daily, what I call kind of true self practices, but sort of what you do um, for self, I guess, in your yeah. day. Is there a particular way you start your morning or... So I practice Buddhism. So it's um, it's a it's a practice called um, SGI. It's, it's sort of a Japanese um, sect of Buddhism, and uh, we do a chant called Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And so I do the chant every morning and every evening. So I try I try to do it every evening. I'm pretty bad at that, but mornings are like a must for me. I think it just helps me put you know, things in the right box in a way, you know, uh, sometimes I feel like it's, uh, I can be very chaotic and things are all over the place. And by chanting, it sort of quietens a lot of the, the noise, um, around me and I can focus back on things that are really important in my life. And when you realize that, yeah, these are the three things that actually matter, um, it's, it's a lot easier to go about your day and make the right choices and do the right things because it comes back to the realization that it doesn't matter if I don't have this or this or that, you know, it's, um, this is what I want in life. So, mm. um, I think, uh, one of the things that the practice really taught me and I, I started in my early twenties, so I've been doing it for a long time is to really take responsibility for things that happen. I, I feel like I used to be a bit of a blamer. Like I'd be like, Oh, she did this because she's like that. And, you know, just, um, um, especially in workspace where, you know, there can be a lot of politics and a lot of drama, um, it's, it can be really challenging, but putting on this sort of, um, you know, taking on this um, practice has taught me to just um, just evaluate and like um, think about my actions and not worry about the others, you know, just um, how I sort of react to that. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so nice. Um, I actually started the practice. Um, this is a, a I, I don't I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone. So I mean online oh, or, I'm on the okay. space. But I was I was married for like a day once. Wow. <laughs> so so I was dating this guy and you know, we were engaged and we got married and then we we brought um we got the 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 wedding annulled on the same day, literally. So and I think it was this practice that sort of helped me. Um, feel that clarity that this wasn't for me but it just wow. kind of got to that moment that I wanted it so badly and it happened and then realized this is not quite quite what I want yeah With right for both person. of us was it a full wedding 
Yes, it was. And it was a big Indian wedding. Yeah, there was like family and friends from all over the world um, that arrived for the wedding. And I kind of felt pressured to just just get married and because everyone's here and everything's booked and we have to do it. And um, yeah, so we did it. <laughs> and luckily, wow. like we were able to annul it. So you don't have to get a divorce if you haven't co- consummated the, the marriage as yet. So yeah, but I think uh, going back to having this practice, um, it gave me the strength to just realize um, that actually this is going to be so bad for the two of us. And um, it's going to be the hardest thing in my life. But I'm just going to chant and keep going as I sort of like chanted for like hours and hours and, and found that peace over time. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of women listening who have, you know, our really, um, our, those really shadowy stories, Mm. you know, that we hold real close to our chests because the exposure of them is, you know, that's the ultimate in, you know, what it means to feel vulnerable, I think. So I'm very thankful that you shared it because I think there might be women listening who might have similar stories to that. Mm. Um, And then even I think just the, and this is an episode I'd love to do as well, is the shame around divorce as well and the shame around like relationships not working out and then, you know, our ambition behind marriage too because we want the moment and how much have we been like, programmed again back to this and conditioned to want that special thing that makes us feel like that princess on that day that yeah you know and who's responsible for that I know you know what I mean mm. yeah oh and yeah if, if um you know all, a lot of the in, Indians and I think like South Asians would be able to relate to that you get an incredible amount of pressure like from the age of like uh, I think like 19 or 20 my mom and dad were like oh what do you think of this guy and you know maybe you guys can be friends from now and you know maybe in the future you guys can and, and that's a lot you know when you're that young and you just want to think about work and what you want to be and and how much of yeah of the world you want to explore at that time so there's yeah there is a lot of pressure from Mm. growing up in that environment for sure well maybe before I ask you my um final question which you know what it is anyway yeah (laughs) um maybe you could um if you're comfortable to give um some advice to women listening who might find themselves in the same situation that you did Mm. like what would you say to them now um I'd say um, if you can get a get a ticket, go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> get on a plane. Get on a plane. <laughs> um, you know, and and I think it's okay. Sometimes um, you have to um, know when to, um, you know, with some relationships, especially with family, like uh, you have to distance yourself sometimes to um, allow some breathing space. And if you can do that, if you have the ability to um, to walk away for a little while and, you know, find the perfect excuse to do that, um, <laughs> um, do it. And yeah, just give yourself some space. And yeah, it, c- it can be really hard if you're under the same roof living with your family so yeah try and try and move to another city find a job in another city (laughs) I love that (laughs) get in the air and leave 
Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. I think that's going to be really valuable for um, a lot of women and I guess men as well listening. So you know that offline exists as an exploration of self. And, you know, you have obviously, and on the back of that story, had a lot of um, labels and expectations set on you from a really young age. But if we take all of that away and, you know, take Source away and take the Instagram following away, and I guess our identity as these media people, Mm -hmm. when you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that question? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because... I, I couldn't really try, I couldn't really find an answer, but I think the two things that do come to my mind is that I'm very strong and resilient. And I think those two words um, do sort of uh, mirror who I am from the inside. So I'd have to say that um, definitely when um, things get difficult, I know that I have it in me. Um, I'm a very strong person. Yeah. Mm, beautiful, strong and resilient. Yeah. Well, um, Thank you for being on Thank my podcast you. and hanging in there despite the technical difficulties <laughs> earlier. No, thank you for having me. And I have to say, I think I mentioned that earlier, like um, the work you do is so incredible. And by being yourself, uh, you give a lot of women the permission to be themselves as well. And um, that's really important. And we sort of need this kind of space in the world um, to um, decide how many masks we want to take off and how much we want to keep on, you know, and think that's what's really special about offline. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.